Turn with me to Luke uh, chapter 9. We're going to start in verse 51. I'm going to talk about a couple things today before we get into it. Man, I have my, my, one of my uh, sweatshirts on, one of our sweat, sweatshirts that are from um, the Joy of Marriage Conference. This will be one that's on there. Love keeps no record. Uh, I like this sweatshirt. If you saw someone praise the worship team wearing some of the, the merchandise we'll have there. Uh, and so anyway, uh, man, uh, I began to think about the, the stuff we do in the joy of marriage. I want you guys to know, I've said this before, we invest into the joy of marriage. The joy of marriage doesn't make any money. The joy of marriage makes no money. We invest probably ten dollars to $20,000 every year into the joy of marriage conference. That's what we invest. So I want you to know that it's not making money. We've tried to get it where it'd break even, but we'd have to charge an exorbitant. We'd have to charge probably double, triple what they usually charge to go to Dallas or one of these others. We'd have to charge at that level. We're trying to make it affordable for everybody to come. So please take advantage of that because we love investing in your marriage. Because we know that the body, the, the whole kingdom of God is only going to be as strong as our marriages. You know, I've had people tell me, well, man, I, we just invest in our kids and we live for our children. The best gift you can give your children is not to do that. The best gift you can give your children is a godly, Christian, loving, fun-filled household with laughter and love and forgiveness, being there for each other through the thick and the thin. That's the best gift you can give your children. No amount of money will replace that gift of a great marriage. Of a great loving marriage and a house, a house full of laughter and, and forgiveness and, you know, toughen each other up a little bit. You know, I, people need to get a little tougher. They do, they really do. They need to get a little mentally tougher and that should come from your family. You know, in our family, man, you get made fun of and you look like you get hurt. That's like blood in the water to my boys, man. It's like, oh, you got hurt? Let's talk about that some more until you're not hurt. You know, and so, you know, we toughen each other up in a good way, uh, but it's still, you, you know, it, that's what family does. And it comes from, it all stems from the leadership in the home, which is the mom and the dad. And so invest in your marriage, give your kids the greatest gift. And that's not a broken marriage. That's not a survival marriage, but a loving, laughter-filled, fun-filled, overcoming marriage. And it will bless them for decades and, and bless them for generations. I can't talk about that enough. And, you know, in talking about, you know, this is Super Bowl Sunday for some of you. Uh, there's 32 teams in the NFL. There's only uh, two uh, types of people today that are happy, all 30, the rest of 30, uh, uh, 30 uh, fans of the other 30 teams, they're, they're like, who cares? <laughs> and so, but there's two, there's two groups that do care. So uh, I always take this survey. Um, if you are rooting for the Rams to win, let me hear it. Come on. <laughs> Some Rams fans in here. Um, how about the Cincinnati Bengals to win? Yeah. Let me hear it. I actually think the Bengals won that one. Wow, that's interesting. Uh, how about the other 30 uh, fans of the other 30 teams or the I don't cares? How about that? Let me see the I don't care. 20 straight years, I don't cares won. No team has ever won that, that uh, cheer. 30 years, I don't care has won. And, you know, whether you care about that or not, God talks about the attitude that comes along with competition a lot in the Bible. Not a little, a lot. Paul was a Roman citizen. He watched the Olympic games and God uses our experiences to explain things. Obviously the Bible is God breathed. It's inspired by the Holy Spirit, every word of it, but he, he, he filtered that through the personalities of these men. And so he used their experiences to talk about that. And Paul talks a ton about that, the, the competitiveness of Christianity and just how we're supposed to approach being a Christian. And I think we can learn a lot from other people that aren't, some aren't, that aren't Christians. You know, I don't believe Michael Jordan's a Christian. He's never, I've never seen him confess Jesus as the Lord of his life, nor does his, the fruit of his life uh, uh, look like that. I, I mean, I don't know. I don't know his heart, but there's no fruit that I've seen. I've never heard him say a word about Jesus as the Lord of his life, but I respect him as a competitor. 
greatest basketball player that has ever played and I think ever will. I mean, you know why? Because I've never known anybody as competitive as Michael Jordan. And he was willing to pay a price. He just wasn't competitive on game day. He shot 300 shots a day, seven days a week. He worked hard. He was always in great shape. When he needed to gain muscle, he, he went at it and gained muscle so he could be a better player. Whatever he needed to do, he worked on to make it happen. And he said this, I play to win. I play to win. In today's world, wow, what an uncommon attitude. People say, you're too competitive. You're too this. You're too that. Everybody wants a participation trophy and not a winner's trophy. Uh, for some of you that are my age or right around my age, you know that when we grew up, only first place got a trophy. If they did give trophies for second and third, first place was like this. Second and third, I mean literally, were like this. It was obvious who won first place. I, I didn't, I really, growing up, the only trophies I had were first place. That's the only trophies I had. In, in, a, in my day, all those trophies weren't put in someone's room. They were put in the living room. Anybody remember those days? All the trophies for the kids, man, they, they were in, the, they were in a, a, a spot where everybody could see in the living room when I grew up. They weren't in someone's bedroom. I mean, they were displayed. Why? Because they were so uncommon to have. It wasn't just common. Now they just give out trophies for everything. I, this is just how I am, and Julie, Julie totally agrees with me, that when my kids would get a participation trophy, I used to make my boys go give it back. No, thank you. They were kind. No, thank you. I wouldn't, I wouldn't let them get a participation trophy or ribbon or any kind of reward for participating. Why? Because winners pay a price that other people aren't willing to pay. They just pay a price that other people aren't willing to pay. I think about Tom Brady, 22 years in the NFL, greatest NFL player I've ever seen, 10 Super Bowls, seven, won seven of them, and he said in his retirement, this is how he retired, I'm not willing to pay that price anymore to be a, to, to, to be a champion. I mean, he got, because that guy, I, I've read a lot about him, he was the first one in the locker room, last one to leave as a rookie in every tw all those 22 years. The, everybody that ever played with him said, no one outworked Tom Brady. No one watched more film. No one worked out all year long to stay in shape and to stay limber. No one threw more footballs. No one did more than Tom Brady. Champions pay a price that others aren't willing to pay. That's just the way it is. And some people think, well, you can't be competitive in Christianity. Oh, man, you better read your Bible. <laughs> Listen to this. Listen to what Jesus said in Luke chapter 9, verse 51. It says, Jesus passionately determined to leave for Jerusalem and let nothing distract him from fulfilling his mission there. Man, I tell you, someone that focused is, I mean, they, he realized there was a competition between heaven and hell. And he's like, nothing's going to distract me from fulfilling my purpose. Another translation of that verse says, he set his face like flint, like flint, like like chiseled rock, like I am so determined. I can't imagine what his face looked like when he said, I'm done with this part of my ministry. We're heading to Jerusalem. How he must have approached that. He was on a mission. He said, nothing will deter me. Nothing will distract me from my mission. Man, that's that, that's that edge. That's that edge of champions. That's the edge that you have to have to run the race for Christ. You have to have this, there is no plan B. I burn plan B ships. I burn the ships, man. This is, it's this way, it's this way or no way. And this is, this is the way. And it says, for the time for him to be lifted up was drawing near. He knew that his time to give his life for us was coming near, so he had to get to the place where it was going to take place. He had to do what he had to do, and he set his face. He was determined in the pursuit. He was relentless in the pursuit of fulfilling the will of God. I, I played uh, competitive sports all my life till I was about 20 years old, and uh, wow, I learned so much about Christianity from that. I learned so much about being a Christian from that. The passion it takes to be a champion, 
the passion and the hard work and dedication it, it takes to win, to, be, to, to compete. Listen, Satan is always competing. The Bible says, not me, the Bible says we do not wrestle. There is a competition. If there's a fight, that means there's a competition to see who's going to win the fight. He said, we don't wrestle with flesh and blood, but of principalities and high places, with all these demonic forces. And then he says this, suit up. God says, suit up. Put on your armor and suit up. He never called anybody to be a spectator or a cheerleader. He called us all to suit up. Every one of us, he called to suit up. In Isaiah, talking about what's, what it says in Luke, Isaiah prophesied Jesus would be like this. He said, I gave my back to those who strike. In my cheek to those who pluck out the beard. I did not cover my face from, humi from humiliation and spitting. Listen, Jesus didn't even protect himself. When they were ripping out his beard, he didn't go. He, did, he never covered himself once. When they were whipping him, he never tried to flinch away. He, had, he knew he had to take it. He had to take the spitting. When they spit in his face, he didn't try to move. Why? Because he knew to pay the price for our sins. He had to take what we deserved. He had to let them do it. And let them is what he did. When they came for him and Peter pulled out a sword and cut off one of those soldiers' ears, Jesus said, put your sword up, Peter, because they'll kill you. There's, they have more swords than you have right now. Put your sword up. He healed the guy whose ear got cut off. And then he said, hey, don't you know I could have called down a legion? That's five, 6,000 angels to come down and take care of this in a second. He said, I could defend myself, but if I do, then I can't die for your sins. Because you deserve this, I've got to take it like a man. I've got to take it. He, will not, he did not protect. He did not, he did not cover up. He had to take it for us. That's how determined and relentless Jesus was. The word relentless means steady and persistent, not to be placated or appeased or moved by entreaty. That means not talked out of it. Peter, one time, when Jesus said, I gotta, I'm going to die for you guys, Peter kind of realized what he was saying. He said, he, he took him to the side. He said, oh, man, Jesus, can I talk to you for a second? He took him to the side and said, hey, Jesus, you don't have to do this, man. Don't do that. Don't, don't die. Don't, you don't have to do that. Literally, the Bible says that Jesus pushed him, not like this. He shoved him away from him and said, get behind me, Satan. He knew exactly whose voice and who was influencing those words. And he shoved him away from him. Said, get, me, get behind me, Satan. He wouldn't be placated. He's not going to be talked out of it. Man, when you're a Christian, you, like I said, you burn the boats. You're like, it's heaven or nothing. You're determined to get there and determined to fulfill the will of God for your life. But you got to suit up. You can't be a spectator or a cheerleader. You got to be in the arena. Jesus got in the arena and fought for us. That's how it's supposed to be. He goes on to say, for the Lord God helps me. That's what I love about God. You get in the arena, you suit up, man, he'll help you. He'll strengthen you. You can't do it on your own, and you don't want to. He'll help you do it. He said, I am not disgraced, therefore. I have set my face like flint, and I know that I will not be ashamed. You know, the only time you're ever ashamed is when you back down, not when you fight. The only time you're ashamed is when you don't fight and you knew you should have. That's what brings shame. Jesus said, I won't be ashamed. I will fight to the end. And it didn't look like he was fighting because other people were beating him and nailing nails in his hands and feet and crucifying him. But man, that whole time he was fighting. You know what the fight was with him? To not call down those angels. And to take it for us. To take it for us. And he fought. He fought for us. He fought and won. Only those that get in the arena get to experience what victory is truly like. I like it what Theodore Roosevelt said. He said this. He said, it is not the critic who counts. Not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles. You know, it's so easy to be an armchair quarterback. 
That's so easy. Recently, there was a controversy over San Francisco 49ers quarterback. A lady on Sports Center or ESPN started really lamb blasting this guy personally, the quarterback Jimmy Garoppolo for the San Francisco 49ers. She made it real personal and was just blasting him. He can't do this and he can't do that. Well, Jeff Garcia, who used to play for the 49ers and then played for the Raiders. I like Jeff. I'm not a 49ers fan or a Raiders fan, but Jeff was a competitor and I like people who fight. I like people who compete, and he was a competitor. Well, he spoke up and said, what does she know? She never played quarterback in the NFL. How does she know? And he wasn't mad that she was critical. He was mad that she made it personal, like she could do it. Listen, you need to be careful what you say about people that are in the arena when you're not in the arena. On the, at the Super Bowl, that stadium seats about 70,000, but Pastor Sean looked it up, and they said they're expanding it to 100,000. There's going to be 100,000 spectators, but on the field at any one time, there's only going to be 22 competitors. And that's what it seems like sometimes in the body of Christ. There's 22 of us down on the deck fighting it out, and there's a lot of people up in the stands being critical. Ah, uh, you should have did it this way. You should have done this. You should have did that. Ah, uh, who do you think you are? And that's how that lady was. And Jeff, Jeff unapologetically criticized her and said, how do you know? How do you know he's like this? How do you know this? You, you, you've never been in that uh, NFL quarterback. Only 32 people get to do that every year. That's a small percentage of the 300 and something million people that live in America. It takes a unique quality. I, I know that when I lived in Tulsa, I got the opportunity to play, pick up basketball with a bunch of pro athletes. And one of them, um, Steve Largent, he's a Hall of Famer. He was a receiver for the Seattle Seahawks for years. He, uh, he was on the court. This is after he retired. He'd been retired a year or so. And so I play, I play this pickup game. When I would show up at this particular gym and he was there, he'd always pick me on this team and we'd, we'd play. And I always liked being on their team because Steve never lost. And Steve wasn't very tall. He's only about 5'11". But man, I tell you, there'd be guys 6'8", 6'7", that played college basketball on this court all the time. He'd eat them alive. And what amazed me is how he turned his body. His body was a machine. It was so different. You could just tell watching people move around, this guy was at another level. Those NFL athletes, these athletes, these professional athletes, they're at a whole nother level. Why? Because they've pushed their, most of them have natural ability, but then they've taken that and they've pushed their bodies to its limits to compete. They did what it took. I played with another group of brothers, the Bryant brothers. His, the older brother was a, was a defensive lineman for the Atlanta Falcons for years, for I think 10, 11 years, maybe 12. And then his little brother played linebacker for Denver. And the, the older brother, the defensive lineman, we, one time another team didn't show up, and he called Steve and I, my brother, the Smothers brothers. He said, hey, Smothers brothers, you guys, man, uh, play play with us. Let's just play. So every once in a while, because we officiated their games, and every once in a while, if a team would show up, they'd, they'd ask us to play. We'd play, and he, we'd play with them before. said, come on, let's play. So we played with them, because they wanted to, they were out there just to have fun and play some basketball, and I came dribbling down the court, and I put a move on this big dude, uh, the, the big Bryant brother, and he moved right in front of me, and I hit him. And I, I weighed 190 pounds. I was in pretty good shape, and man, I hit him, and I dropped like a rock. Flat on my back. And he kind of chuckled. And I looked up and said, man, that hurt. That hurt. He laughed even more. He said, Troy, you all right? I said, I don't know. That hurt, man. And he kind of laughed at me. Then he reached down and picked me up under the arms and picked me up like a five-year-old <laughs> and set me down. He's like, I don't know how big he was, six four, six five, and just massive. <laughs> and I said, I told him, I said, two things I'm going to tell you right now. He said, what? I said, number one, I'm never going to hit you like that again because that hurts too much. I said, number two, never pick me up like a five-year-old again. That's embarrassing. And he just laughed. He laughed at me. I'm glad he laughed and didn't take that seriously because he'd have crushed me like a bug. But this is what I know. Those guys, they take it to a whole nother level. And I think about, I think about people I watched a Tom Brady special on the price he's paid and Michael Jordan and what they were willing to do, the Larry Birds, the Magic Johnson, the great athletes, world-class boxers, the price they pay. And then I think about my Christianity. I think, man, if we would put as much 
into Christianity as they do in being an athlete. Wow, what we could accomplish. Why is the world's goods of more value than God's, what God has for us? But you have to have a little competitive edge to you. You have to, you have to be like this. He said, the critic, man, nothing goes to the critic. He said, the credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes up short again and again, because there is no effort without error and shortcoming. But who does actually strive to do the deeds? Who knows the great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best Knows in the end the triumph of great achievement, or at the worst, he fails. At least he fails while daring greatly, so that, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat, the people who never got in the arena and fought, who actually tried and dared. My wife's testimony of our marriage is we entered into the arena and we, 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 were gonna, we were determined to win. And we failed many times. We failed many times. We were selfish and young and immature and we failed and we, we let each other down. We disappointed each other. We said things we shouldn't have said to each other. We were mean to each other. We were selfish. But you know what? We stayed in the arena our marriage isn't a testimony of perfection. It's a testimony of being in the arena and fighting for a worthy cause. That's called marriage. That's called family. That's called legacy. That's called our children. That's called our grandchildren. <laughs> fighting for the kingdom. It was worth the fight. It was worth the battle. Because then, then you get to experience, yeah, we've experienced some defeats, but at least we're in it together. But we've also experienced some great victories, and we got to celebrate those too. If you never dig in, if you never, if, you, if you're always quitting, you're always giving up, if you're just a spectator or a cheerleader, you'll never experience, you'll never experience what true triumph feels like. You know, when people win the Super Bowl, it seems like that the team that wins always ends up selling, you know, people all of a sudden, I see their jerseys everywhere. It's like, oh, okay. Because people jump on the bandwagon and they use the word we. We won. We did this. We did that. And you know what? You, you associate with them. You support them. I get it. I get what fandom looks like. But you weren't in the locker room when they, when they were defeated. And you're not going to get the trophy when they win. Only the people who are actually in the field of battle get to experience those things. So even though you can spectate and you can root for, you're still not on the team. You're still not getting the true joy of it. You're still not experiencing what it's like. God wants us to experience what it's like. He calls us to be in the arena. He calls us to stand. He calls us, he calls us to fight. He calls us to fight. Go with me to uh, Philippians chapter 3. Oh, man, there's things worth fighting for, church. There's things worth fighting against and things worth fighting for both. Philippians 3, Paul says, Paul says this. I admit that I haven't yet acquired the absolute fullness that I'm pursuing or perfection, but I run with passion. What does he run with? Into his, his abundance so that I may reach the purpose that Jesus Christ has called me to fulfill. And wants me to discover. He said, I run with passion and purpose. Only, only people who want to win run with passion and purpose. Only people want to pay a price run with passion and purpose. Because they see the prize on the other end. They see the rewards that will come. You want to accomplish anything in life, you got to pay a price. Stuff that comes free, you don't appreciate value, nor did you pay to get it. And you will not ever value it the way you'll value stuff that doesn't come free, that comes with the price of, a, of effort, passion, and purpose. 
He goes on to say, I don't depend on my own strength to accomplish this. However, I do have one compelling focus. I forget all of the past as I fasten my heart to the future instead. I run straight. You notice he says run. I run straight. Paul watched the Olympic Games over and over again in Rome, and he uses these sports illustrations because God filters his word through our experience. So he uses these experiences. He said, I run straight for the divine invitation of reaching the heavenly goal and gaining the victory prize through the anointing of Jesus. There's a prize. There's a prize. There's a prize at the end. I don't know about you guys. I, I, I'll t- I've, I've said I'm going to teach on this sometime, and I, I have it, and I need to. I need to teach on the crowns that Jesus gives when you get to heaven. Everybody who makes it gets, a, gets the crown of righteousness. So everybody gets a crown. Everybody who makes it into heaven gets the crown of righteousness. But there's other crowns. There's six other crowns. One of them is, is the soul winner's crown. And I believe, this is how I just in my imagination, I don't know how it actually is, but I believe they stack. I believe they stack up. And Jesus is not going to give you a participation trophy. He doesn't say, well, you, you showed up. I'll give you some crowns too because I feel bad because so-and-so, Renee has five crowns and you only have two, so I'll give you a couple more to make you feel good. Jesus is not gonna do that at all for you. That's not happening. No, he, he's, a, he's the God of justice and fairness. He rewards you according to what you did. He, he tells us in the Bible, when you get to heaven, you're gonna be recorded rewarded with what you did. You'll be granted access to heaven, not for what you did, but who you accepted as your Lord, just through Jesus. But your rewards in heaven will be based on what you did. He said, some of what you did will be like gold and silver. Other stuff you did will burn up like like wood, hay, and stubble. He's talking to Christians when he's telling that story. I, I know this, I'm fighting for the soul winner's crown. And there's enough of them to go around to everybody. It's not like you can run out. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have the crown of righteousness just like you are. But man, the soul winner's crown, I want that one. I'll wear that with joy. Not pride, but great joy. But there's other crowns that you can achieve in the kingdom of God. He gives rewards. After all, what does he say about faith? He says, there's two things that you must believe. That God is who he says he is. He's God and God alone. And two, that I'm a rewarder of those who diligently, running for the prize, I'm a rewarder of those who diligently seek me. He rewards. That's why there's, there's some people that have and some people that don't. Because some people are willing to pay the price to get God's rewards. We don't have to pay any price to get saved. Jesus paid that price for us. But to get the rewards, to get the crowns, oh, you have to, you have to do something for that. Paul recognized that. He said, I'm running with a passion. I'm running this race with a passion. He said, I'm running to be a winner. Winners running to be first place and running just to finish, two different types of running. Two way different types of training. When I quit playing competitive sports, I started running five miles a day just to be in shape. I wasn't great at it, but it was the cheapest thing you could do to stay in shape. All you do is buy some shoes and find a neighborhood, a field, a park to run in. So I, I didn't have much money when I got out of college. And so I just said, in order to stay in shape, I'm going to take the free thing. It's free to run. Run around the block. That's free. So I would run. And I got up to where I'd run five miles a day. But I didn't train like I was trying to win a race. And I ran some 3Ks and some other stuff. I trained to run a certain time, but I never trained to win because, man, my, I wasn't going to pay that price. That's a whole other way of running, to run to win the race. I was just running to beat my personal time. The guys who won, oh, the people that beat me that were way out in front of me, oh, man, they, had a, they paid a whole different price than I was willing to pay. Winners always do. Winners always do. Is Jesus not our example of the one with dust and blood on his face? Bruises, marred. That's what the arena looks like. When you're in the arena, there's a battle taking place. One of my good friends who sees into the spiritual realm, 
told me this years ago. I didn't expect it. He can see, he actually can see this. His name is Kelly. If you've seen his books, Kelly Castleman, he's got some books out here. But um, he's only one of the few legitimate guys I've ever known. I don't know a lot of guys who can do this, but he's one of the few legitimate guys. And he told me one time, he said, man, Pastor Troy, your angel, you know, because you have an angel assigned to you at birth. He says, your angel looks different. I said, why? He said, I can tell he's been in many battles. It made me really grateful to God that he gave me an angel that was willing to fight for me. It really touched my heart. He said, your angel looks different. He said, I, I, he said, I can't describe it, but you can just tell he's hardened to battle. He's used to fighting. And I'm like, thank you, God, for giving me an angel that will fight because you made me a fighter. And we're going to fight to the last breath for the kingdom of God. We're going to fight for every soul we can we can tell about Jesus. We can't make people accept Jesus, but we can fight to tell them. We can pay the price. We can pay the price to earn the right to speak to them about Jesus. But we all have to suit up. Jesus is calling you to suit up. Paul suited up, and he was relentless. I like what it says about, in Elijah, uh, about Elijah in James. Go with me to James chapter 5. This is, this is real vital to all of us, this, this scripture. James chapter 5, it says, in verse 16, it says, Confess and acknowledge how you have offended one another, and then pray for one another to be instantly healed. Then he says this, For tremendous powers released through the passionate, heartfelt prayer of a godly believer, a relentless, heartfelt believer. You have to be relentless in prayer. He said, You'll move mountains if you're relentless. You gotta be, you gotta be focused, you gotta be passionate about praying things out for the kingdom. Then he says this, Elijah was a man with human frailties just like all of us. You know, sometimes we look at Jesus and we say, well, I'm not Jesus. But Jesus gives us all these examples from the Old Testament. Esther put her life on the line. Mary, when she accepted the call of God on her life to bear Jesus, she put her life on the line because the penalty for being pregnant at a wedlock was death was death. Esther, death. What she did, the penalty was death. These women and these men of the, of the Old Testament, the Abrahams, the, the Elijahs, these people put their lives on the line. Why? Because they were in the arena fighting. They understood the prize was the kingdom of God, and they understood that people were the treasures of the kingdom, and they were willing to pay the price to see them won. To see this happen. I've heard it said and I've often said, man, you know what? I, I have this passion and, and people, you know, will, and the old, uh, old preacher one time said, man, if you want to draw a crowd, just light yourself on fire. People will come and watch you burn. They'll come and spectate. But my goal is not for you to come and watch me burn. My goal is that we burn together. That we have this fire inside of us. To tell people about Jesus and to live for him. To live for him in our families, in our personal life, when no one's looking. To live for him publicly and in church and get involved. And not sit back and be the critic. I don't know how many times we've been criticized as a church by people who never even go to church. I'm like, get in the arena, then you can come and criticize me. Otherwise, your critique means nothing to me. Means nothing to me. Unless you're in the arena with me. Get in here and then we can talk about how I failed or the mistakes I've made. But I'll tell you this, anybody who's ever tried to do anything worthwhile, anybody that's ever been to management, anybody that's ever had employees, anybody that's ever had to, had to go above, rise above the crowd a little bit, all of you know, every one of you know the price you have to pay to be the leader. Every one of you know the price you have to pay to be the leader. It's a different price than everybody who just sits by the water fountain and criticizes the job you do. I would like everybody to have a bunch of employees. I want everybody to have employees. Then you'll learn about yourself and about people. You'll either grow or fail. But it'll teach you some very valuable lessons. And you won't be so critical 
of other people when you're in the arena. I used to be critical of my brothers and sisters of them raising their kids. I used to think I knew better and I had no kids. Then I had kids, I'm like, oh no, I was wrong about everything. I apologized to them all, I did. Why? Because I wasn't in the arena. When I got in the arena, I saw things from a different perspective. I saw things from a different perspective. If that person who criticized Garoppolo could ever get behind a center and have 300 and something pound people trying to rip his head off and having to read a whole defense and take a snap and run for your life and throw a ball, I guarantee you she would never criticize him the way she did. A lot of people wouldn't, men and women, would not criticize. They'd be like, wow, that is happening so fast. I don't know how you, I don't know how you do anything but freak out. Be careful what you criticize when you're not in the arena. God didn't call us, any of us, to be spectators. He called us all to be in here. I love how Jesus called people. In Luke chapter 1, Jesus is just walking along the Galilee, and he sees the two of the brothers, and he says, he just says to them, hey, fellas, come, come follow me. That's it. He pursues them and tells them to come. That's it. He doesn't give them a story. He just says, hey, you two, come on. I like how Jesus pursues people and says, come on, unapologetic. He didn't say, hey, sorry, excuse me. I don't mean to interrupt you guys. You're fixing your nets. I know you're fishing. I know you're busy. Uh, You know, I hate to ask you to do anything for me, but, you know, there's a kingdom thing happening here. There's people dying and going to hell, and I want them to go to heaven. So if you could just pretty please show up and usher, uh, I would really appreciate it. Could you pretty please, I, I know you're, gosh, you got this fishing business and you got family and you got all this stuff going on. Could you give me an hour of your time? You know what Jesus said, Mark? He said, come. Come now, come, follow me. He didn't ask for an hour. He asked for their whole life. He didn't ask for an hour. He asked for their whole life. Jesus never said, come go to church. That's not, he never said that. He said, come follow me. If you're following him, you'll be in church. He never said, come go to church. No, he said, come follow me. Come on. Then he went just a little ways further, saw two other brothers fishing, and he said to them the same thing. He said, pretty please, will you please come with me? Just give me two, 10 minutes of your time. He didn't say any of that nothing. He wasn't milly-mouthed about it. He wasn't weak-kneed about it. Jesus looked and said, come, follow me. And they, they just, they dropped their nets and said, okay, and started walking. He went to Matthew, the tax collector. He's collecting taxes, and he walks up to the table, and he looks, he fastens his eyes on Matthew. Fastens his eyes on Matthew, and he says, Come, follow me, Matthew. Come on. He just starts walking. He didn't ask him for a lunch. Hey, can, I, can, can we go to lunch together, Matthew? Talk about this. He unapologetically said, come on. To all of them. To all of them. He didn't apologize for interrupting their lives to ask them to serve. Because he realized the only way they could have a life was to serve. The only way they could get to heaven was to serve. And the only way other people were going to get to heaven was for people to serve. He didn't ask for a moment. He didn't ask for an hour. He didn't ask for a lunchtime. He asked for their lives. He asked for their lives. He said, get in the arena. What's the price? Your life. How do I know that? Because he said it. He said, if you don't pick up your cross and come follow me, the cross means you're going to die to yourself. And come follow me, you'll never have a life worth living on this planet or life in heaven either. He said, if you claim your life and you're like, ah, I'm going to do me. Not you, Jesus, I'm going to do me. He said, you'll lose your life here in this life and you'll lose your life in the next and you'll spend an eternity in hell. He just point blank called people. He didn't ask me if I wanted to be a pastor. He never asked my permission, not once. He just said, Troy, when I was 18, I'd been saved about, about eight, nine months. I, I, I heard him say, hey, by the way, someday you're going to be a pastor. 
And I took that and I put that in my pocket. I said, well, whenever you're ready, hopefully I'll be ready. Because I didn't have a clue what a pastor did or didn't do or anything about it. I just put it in my pocket. When he called me out of church one day, he just pastor was like standing up here and said, hey, Renee, come here. Uh, by the way, you're called to be the next associate pastor of the church. That's how he did it. Just right in front of everybody. <laughs> just said, come. He said, come here. Right in front of everybody. Well, and then, then the pastor asked me, is that right? Are you, are you supposed to be in the ministry? I mean, right in front of everybody. I didn't have a chance to do anything. He just said, come. I, I didn't have a chance to say, well, let me think about it. Let me pray about it. I had to answer right then. But I already knew the answer because he told me when I was 18, he said, come. So I said, yes. I didn't ask Julie. I'd already told Julie what he told me. I didn't ask her. I didn't take a break. I didn't have to pray. I didn't do anything. I said, you told me to come, Jesus. I'm, I'm going. If this is the open door. I'm walking through it. Listen, I'm asking all of you to get out of the stands. Stop being the critic. Oh, they could have done this. Oh, they could sing better or they could do music better. Well, if you can do it better, come on. Get in the arena. Quit criticizing and get up here. Well, I mean, the church could do this better. Oh, man. If, oh, really? We would love your help. Come on, help us do it better. Get out of the stands. Cheerleaders always get a little closer. It's funny. I see people who come once a month, and they're kind of, they're the, they're, the, they're the people in the stands, and they never say, they never say our church. They always say, when they talk to me, they say, your church. And I'll say, oh, my, oh, it's not my church. It's our church. And they'll say, oh, well, and I can tell it's not their church. They're spectators. The cheerleaders are like, man, Pastor Troy, you guys do such a good job. You're such givers in the community. Rah, rah, rah. And I, I appreciate the encouragement. But I love the people that say we. I love the people that say, man, Pastor, we lost another one. I love the people that come to funerals and cry with us and they're in the foxhole with us and they serve and bring meals. I love the people that show up and work in these nurseries all these Sundays in the children's department, the youth. I love the people that are right here in the arena, right here fighting. All the failures, all the victories, they're ours together. That's what a great family's like. We're called to be the family of God. What are you waiting on? If you're waiting on someone to ask you, I'm asking you right now. Come out of the stands. Suit up. Let's go. We'll make mistakes. It'll be messy. We'll have, we'll have plays we called that weren't good. We'll lose some, but we'll win some too. But no matter what, we'll do it together. We'll be on the field together. Suit up. There's something greater than the Super Bowl happening. I said, there's something greater than the Super Bowl happening. It's called heaven and hell. It's happening. Last thing I want to read to you, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Last thing, and we're out of here. You can go eat your food. And I'm having tacos today. Tacos and jalapeno poppers for the Super Bowl. Praise God. Good stuff, man. Paul said this. It is obvious that all runners on the racetrack keep on running to win, but only one receives the victor's prize. Yet each one of you must run the race to be, it's not up there, to be victorious. He said, you're supposed to run to win. And I know this today's culture's participation trophies and winning's not important and just playing and having fun. And ask my girls' basketball team if that's, that's the way I think. They'll tell you. They'll say, this isn't fun. I'll say, fun is winning. Fun is in the effort. Fun is putting it on the line. And whether you win or lose, it's, it's fun to fight. It's fun to battle. It's fun to compete. That's where the joy comes from. Jesus said, but for the joy set before me, I endured the cross. I paid the price for your victory. Paul says, God says, we're to be victorious. He wants us to be winners and pay the price that winners pay. And he compares it to the marathon. 
at all the races he watched in the Olympics. He says, a true athlete will be disciplined in every respect, practicing constant self-control in order to win a laurel wreath that quickly withers. But we run our race to win a victor's crown that will last forever. That will last forever. Come run the race with us. There's rewards that are forever. Let's go. Take you to night class. Join a ministry. Be part of what we're doing. Amen? Listen, every eye closed. Paul said at the end of his life, right before they crucified him upside down, he said, I've run my race. I've finished my course. He knew he'd run to the finish line and he'd run, he'd, he won the prize. Heaven was his goal and to fulfill the will of God in this life was his goal and he'd achieved it. But he knew his time was short. But you're not even in the race. If you haven't first accepted Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life. You're not even in the race. I'm going to ask you to suit up. By accepting Jesus as the Lord of your life. Giving him your life the way he gave his life for you. Trusting him that doing things his way, based on his truth, the word of God, the Bible. Living the life that he has created you for. The purpose. Well, what if he calls me to be a missionary someplace that I want to go? Listen, he's not, he's not going to do that. You'll have a desire to do whatever he's called you to do. Most of you are already doing some of or part of or maybe all of what you're called to do. You just don't know it. So there's not a joy in it. It doesn't have an eternal purpose to you. You're not getting all the joy you should get out of it. Because you don't know God's called you to it. You don't know it has a higher purpose than just showing up at work and going through the motions and Listen, if you've never accepted Jesus as Lord, this is the day to do it right now. Whether online or here, this is your moment. This is your time. This is it. Greatest competition in the world is between God and Satan. God's love versus Satan's sin and hate. Heaven versus hell. You're being, you're being fought for right now. And Jesus already fought for you. He died. He was bloodied. He was marred. He was dirty. He died for you. For your sins to save you. To rescue you. Satan hates you. He'll try to talk you out of this moment. So he can continue to destroy your life. Don't let him. Don't let him. Give your life to Jesus today. Trust him. He created you. He knows your purpose. He knows your destiny. Trust him. Those guys who left, they left their jobs. They were professional fishermen. They left their, they walked away thinking, how in the world are you going to provide for my wife and my kids and for me? They trusted Jesus to do it. And he provided for all of them generously. You have to trust him that he is who he says he is. And he'll do what he said he'll do. He'll forgive you of your sins, set you free from sin's dominance. That doesn't mean you'll never sin, but you won't be dominated, controlled by sin. You won't be perfect, but he'll teach you how to be mature and consistent, relentless in your pursuit of heaven. In helping and loving your family and others around you.
He'll teach you how to do that. <coughs> if you've never prayed and you want to pray right now, let's pray. Online or here. If online, send us a message. I'm praying for the first time. Here, I'm going to ask you on the count of three to raise your hand and say, I'm praying for the first time. I'm going to get right with God. Maybe it's not your first time. Maybe it's your next time. You just need to get right. You need to run home. Don't walk. Run home to him. Come home to God. You've tasted the goodness of God. Come home to stay. So whether it's your first time or your next time, on the count of three in this room, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. Online, I'm asking you to send a message right now. Send that message right now. In this auditorium, one, two, three. Raise your hand and say, I'm going to pray and get right with God before I leave here. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. All over this room. Wow, thank all of you. God bless you. Thank you. That's awesome. Let's pray, church. You can put those hands down. Let's pray. Let's pray with these that have raised their hand. And those who raise your hand mean business right now. Say this. Say, God, today I choose you. I trust you with my life. Because I believe you gave your life through Jesus to save mine. That death could not defeat him. And he was raised from the dead. And Jesus is alive. You did all of that to save me. And to give me heaven as my eternal home. Thank you. Because I believe that, I ask that you forgive me of all my sins. And I receive your forgiveness. And I say to you, Jesus, you are the Lord Jesus Christ of my life. I thank you for your Holy Spirit right now. And that you teach me your way, your truth, in your life, in this life, till I see you in the next. I'm suiting up today. I'm in the arena with you, with these others. Thank you for calling me. In Jesus' name. So be it. Amen. Come on, let's praise God. That's incredible. Man. Incredible, incredible. incredible.